Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good morning, church. How are you today? Good. You know, I have a message today on recognizing your value. It's a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and we'll get to it, but I I can't stress how strongly I felt in worship that the Lord is going to heal people today. And specifically, I felt the heart highlighted, I felt lungs highlighted, and you might be in the room and it might be something completely different than that. But if you have faith to be healed, Jesus is ready and willing. And how many of you know that he was the healer? He is the healer and he's still healing. He's still healing. Come on, that word for salvation, that word sozo means that I was saved, I am saved, I am going to be saved, I'm going to be saved mentally, spiritually, physically, that God doesn't leave one part out for me. He doesn't leave one part out for you. In the Bible it says that signs shall follow his word. And I'm not going to lay hands on you yet, maybe at the end of service I will. But I feel like just as the word is taught today, even though it doesn't make sense in my head, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. But I feel like the Lord is going to be touching people, he's going to be touching hearts, he's going to be touching lungs in all three facets, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. But let's go ahead and start. Recognizing Your Value is a book that I wrote a few years ago, and it was time for it then, and I didn't necessarily want to speak on it. You would think, Brandon, you don't want to speak on your book, but it's, it's been a few years, but I felt like the Lord told me it was time for that, but it's time again. And I want to touch on recognizing our value, not just individually, but recognizing our value corporately. And what would it look like at Oaks Church if we recognize what God is going to do in and through you in this territory, in McKinney? We were driving here today and I heard the Lord tell me that this is our territory. It's our region to reach. The people here are ours to reach, to expand God's kingdom. And when I wrote this book, I wrote it with one question in mind. What would your life be like if you believed in you like God believes in you? It looked a lot different. I don't know about you, but I can so easily doubt myself, so easily wonder if I have what it takes, if I've got the goods, if God can really use me, if he can work through my emotions, if he can work through my weaknesses and my strengths or any of those things. But can he? What would my life be like if I believed in me like God believed in me? Let's talk about potential. I heard an interesting story a few years ago about a man. He played the lottery every single day. And on this one occasion, he did what everybody wants to do. He won. The lottery was worth $77 million. Just this piece of paper, and all he had to do was turn it in. But midnight came, it struck, he never got his winnings, and that piece of paper that was worth $77 million went from being extremely valuable 
to not valuable at all, all because he didn't recognize the potential of what he had in his hands. It's been said that potential is God's gift to you, but what you do with it is your gift to him. You know, myself, like a lot of you, I've seen so many people with tons of potential and I've seen so many people with potential just kind of let it go by, not really tap into all that God made them to be. But what are we gonna do with our potential? I heard a story from Mark Twain and he was telling a story about a man that was looking for the greatest general that ever lived. And he looked throughout the earth and he couldn't find him and he heard that he died and went to heaven. So he went to heaven and he showed up to the pearly gates and found the apostle Peter. He said, Peter, I'm looking for the greatest general that ever lived. And Peter said, I know exactly who you're talking about. Come with me. And Peter takes the man and leads them down in, this, in heaven and points and he sees that man. He said, you see that man right there? He was the greatest general who ever lived. And the man looked at Peter, he said, Peter, I don't know how to tell you this, but that man wasn't a general. That man was just a cobbler. I knew that man. He was in my town. And Peter said, yeah, but if he had been a general, he would have been the greatest of them all. He would have been the greatest general of them all. David talking about your value rights in Psalms chapter 139, verse 13, and we'll read it together. He's speaking to the Lord. And earlier in the chapter I was reading this morning, he's talking to the Lord. He said, Lord, you're with me wherever I go. If I'm in the light, you're with me. If I'm in the dark, you're with me. I can't escape your presence. How many times do we pray, God, come. We wanna feel your presence, but God never leaves. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. It's not going anywhere. And David writes in verse 13, he said, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. See, God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed by you. He's excited about you. He loves you. And this is how much he thinks about you. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. You're still with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. I pray that you use me to release your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a willing heart to understand. In Jesus' name. And if you believe it, receive it. Say amen. 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 All right. Thank you, worship team. All right. I got a question for you. I'm going to make things real interesting. Has anybody in here ever been in a fight? Don't lie. Ladies, I know you're in here. Ladies, any, anybody been in a fight? Now we know who you are. Watch out for these ladies right here, right here, right here, right here. Watch, oh man, some of y'all are still pointing like she didn't raise her hand, but let me tell you about this woman right here. She likes to fight. I'm, I grew up an only child and I've only been in one slightly real fight. It was a controlled environment. And I don't even view it as a fight because he 
it was just guys talking, senior year in high school and we're on retreat and I feel like I saw my friend that might have been there with me, but I don't think I did. But we said, I, they basically put it each other against us and said, do you think you can win? And I remember this guy just, he didn't punch me, he just slapped me. And I was appalled that he even, why, why, how are you gonna be a man and slap me? And I didn't tell him, I couldn't hear out of this here. And I just punched him, fight was over, went to sleep that night, thank God I had hearing again. But just growing up, I loved the rough house, I loved to wrestle with my dad and we'd throw some punches around and we only had two rules. You can't punch above here and you can't punch below here. That's it, everything you can do, you can have fun and we'd be in the kitchen and living room and where have you. And I remember one day it got a little out of hand. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with me. I'm, if you know me, I'm slightly competitive. Just slightly, I've, I've gotten a lot better than I used to be. I'm not as embarrassing about it anymore. But I remember we started dancing around the living room, started bantering, and we went in the kitchen, in the living room, went down a side hallway, and it's getting narrow in the hallway. Now my mom is working out in the side guest room, and she's flinging those weights around working out, and I remember I'm fighting my dad, but instead of punching, I just pushed. And it was like the perfect push. I don't know how I did it, I don't know if I can duplicate it, but it was just, it was like kind of a straight basketball pass, and I just went like this, and when I hit my dad, he didn't just hit the wall, he went in the wall. And I don't want to exaggerate the story too much, but he, but it's true. And he's in the wall, and I thought he was going to be mad at me. I was expecting to hear a few choice words, and, but he wasn't. He was just like surprised, like what just happened? And then my sweet mama walked around the corner. I thought I was about to get the wrath, and she got mad at him. <laughs> marriage, am I right? You never know what is going to happen and your marriage. What did I say? <laughs> Not my marriage, but other people's <laughs> marriage. There was, uh, I'm serious, I don't talk about my wife up here. We don't, I just learned. Anyway, I, I don't wanna take that chance. Uh, there was a great fighter named Chuck. Chuck Weppner, he was uh, very gutsy. They called him a catcher because when he fought, he would catch your punches. Not catch it, but he would tire you out get you to punch him. They called him the Bayon Bleeder because when he did hit you, you felt the hit. And his trainer, Al Braverman, said that he called him the gutsiest fighter I ever met. He was in a league of his own. He didn't care about pain. He, if he got cut or elbowed, he never looked at me or the ref for help. He was a fighter in the purest sense of the word. One fight, he was fighting Terry Hinkey, who was a formidable fighter in his day. And he won the fight in 11 rounds, goes home. The next day, he gets a call. And it's Don King, the boxing promoter on the other line. He says, Chuck, I want you to go up in the, for the heavyweight championship of the world. You're going to fight George Foreman. And Chuck was getting amped up. He was getting excited. But there was a fight a few weeks later between George Foreman and a little-known fighter named Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali was getting old, but he was still great, and he beat Foreman, and now Chuck wasn't fighting George, he was fighting the greatest fighter in the last 100 years, Muhammad Ali. He trained for months in anticipation for his big fight. In the morning of, they're in a hotel room in the city they're fighting in, and he has a gift for his wife. 
She unwraps the gift, and it's a pink negligee, a piece of lingerie. Chuck looks to his wife. He said, baby, tonight you're going to be sleeping with the heavyweight champion of the world. Goes about his uh, day, his routine, goes to the fight. The fight goes 15 rounds. Ends in a technical knockout, but in the ninth round, one glorious moment, Chuck had the perfect hit and hit Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad lands on his back down for what Chuck thought was a count. Chuck turns around, looks at his trainer, says, Al, get the car, we're going to the bank, we're millionaires. And Al looks at Chuck, he says, Chuck, you better turn around because he's getting up. And the fight went 15 rounds. Ali won because of technical knockout. That night, they're in the hotel room. His wife holds up the pink negligee. She said, so, do I go to Ali's room or is he coming to mine? (laughs) Things not to say if you're a wife in here, okay? (laughs) On the other side of the screen, watching in his small apartment, was a struggling writer and he's watching the fight and he says, there it is, that's it. And for the next three days, he wrote a manuscript and his script and he turned it into Hollywood execs and they offered him an unprecedented $400,000 for the script. But he turned it down and earned minimum wage at a paltry, I believe $400 a week so that he could play the lead character. They go to Chuck and he's offered a flat fee of $70,000 or 1%. Chuck sees the money, said, I'll take the 70K today. Chuck would have made $8 million if he would have taken the 1%. Chuck lives in Bayonne today, he's a liquor salesman. The other guy is Sylvester Stallone, the movie is Rocky a Hollywood icon for one who saw the value and the other is a liquor salesman in his hometown. Don't sell yourself shorter, you just may end up like Chuck. Who you are is the greatest asset you will ever possess. Who, let me just say it again in case you don't believe me. Who you are is the greatest asset you will ever possess. The greatest asset is not the money that you have in your 401k, it's not your house, it's not your business, it's not even your spouse, it's who you are. Now when I said that, I think there was a good amount of people in the room that found that really hard to believe internally. In your gut, you heard that, you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. You know, I think one of the questions and the battles that we all fight and we ask these three words is, am I enough? Did the creator do a good job with me? Because I look at my life and I look at where I work and I look at my marriage and I see how I react sometimes and I'm like, man, I, I think he could have done a little bit better. God, you should have spent a little more time on these areas. And hopefully your spouse isn't praying that as well. Like, Lord, look at these few areas, man. You forgot about this. (laughs) And it's a struggle and it's a battle that so many of us fight and we tend to compare ourselves with others. Especially in the age of social media, I can so easily just pull out my phone and with the roll of my fingertip, 
I can find somebody who's better looking than me, somebody who's richer than me, somebody who's more successful than me. I can find somebody and you can find somebody who's a better parent, who's a better spouse, who's a better role model, who's more motivated, who doesn't make any excuses, who has a better house. In, the, in an instant, we can compare ourselves to anybody in the world. How's that working out for you? Doesn't work out so well sometimes. You know, when my life ends and I go to heaven to meet my creator and I stand face to face with Jesus and I give an account, he's not going to compare my life with somebody else's. He's not gonna be Brandon, you did pretty good, but did you see how good this guy is? No, he's gonna say, Brandon, this is who I created you to be. Are you this? And the goal is to stand next to who you were called and made and created to be and be an identical twin. That's the goal. You're not competing with anybody else, you're competing with yourself. You're competing with you. We all bring something to the table. We all bring something. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he compares the church, not just locally, but globally, and he compares the church to a body. And just as a body has different parts and roles, so do we. How odd would it be if we all wanted to be the same part? How odd would it be if we all wanted to be the mouth or the foot? The elbow, I don't know if anybody's fighting to be this guy right here. Um, what if we all wanted to be the eye? We want to be the all-seeing eye. We want to see everything that's going on. You know, if we were all the eye, we'd be a strange-looking group. We'd probably look a little bit like this guy from one of my favorite Pixar movies. <laughs> It'd be kind of a strange-looking group if we were all walking around with one big old eyeball like Mike Wyskowski. Some parts may be noticeable, but other parts may be more important. The noticeable parts are not the most important parts, by the way. We guard the parts that need guarded. He writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 in the message, he says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Here's the key, every part dependent on every other part the parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts that we see and the parts that we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. Verse 27, you are Christ's body, that's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. What is Paul saying? When you recognize your value, you will turn on the value of your life. When you realize that you have a specific part, not only in your life, but in the body of Christ, and you play it well, you're recognizing your value. How many people don't recognize what they bring to the table and they go idling around not even knowing what they contribute? But what if you found your part and played it out? 
I remember when I was 19, 20 years old, I didn't really get that nervous when I got up and spoke, um, and I was a little bit, some people would say, and I'm super embarrassed about it now, but some people said, Brandon, you're cocky. You're a little arrogant. Look how you're coming across to people. And I didn't want to be that. So I started, whenever I had a proud thought or felt like big on my own, I would say this to myself, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I said it long enough that I went from one end to the entire differently end and was thinking, man, I'm, I'm nothing. I don't even know what I'm bringing to the table. But years later, it's, it's a journey, but you have to find yourself in the middle. See, you can be humble and know that you're humble. Like I shared a few months ago, Moses wrote in Numbers 12:3. Moses was the most humble man in the face of the earth. Who wrote Numbers? Moses, you can be humble and know. Humble is, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Excuse me, it's not thinking more of yourself, it's just thinking less of yourself. I think I totally botched that quote, but we'll move on. <laughs> but I did youth ministry for a number of years, and I remember when I started doing main services, and I was a youth pastor that would be hosting, or every now and then I'd speak. I remember the trepidation and fear I would feel as a 29, 30 year old, early 30s, like man, Almost, I'm not gonna be mean. Almost everybody in here is older than me. Are they gonna respect me? Do they think that I have the words to say that I hear from God, that I can add anything to my life? That's the, that's the battle I was fighting. But then God took me on a journey of recognizing my value. And it became not just a life message for me, but I found that it was a message for other people. See, confidence is everything. Someone who is talented but lacks confidence won't do as much with the person who is less talented but has more confidence. Confidence is what we all wanna have. But you know, it's not about confidence in yourself, but it is about confidence in who God made you to be. And God doesn't want you belittling what he made. Because that's not disrespect to you, that's disrespect to him. See, you're a carrier of God's presence. There's only one of you. No one else has your fingerprint. Studies have been done, done lately that show that nobody else has your voice, that you're the only one walking around with your fingerprints, with your voice. There's no one quite like you on planet Earth. You're a carrier of God's presence. You're the Holy Spirit inside of you at all times, and he never leaves, he never forsakes and you have the same power, you carry his name, but we have got to realize who and what we're carrying. David writes in Psalms chapter eight, verse three, we'll read through six, he said, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mortals that you should think of us? Mere humans that you should care for us. Verse five, Yet you made us only a little lower than God. And you crowned us with glory and honor. You put us in charge of everything that you made, giving us authority over all things. A little lower than God. I think it's interesting. They're gonna throw the uh, King James, or New King James version up. Psalms eight, verse five. 
The first translation that was turned in English, the King, King James of Great Britain, he had it transcribed in the English, and the translator said, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. That word angels is not the word angels. That word angels is the name and the word Elohim. Elohim has nothing to do with angels. Elohim is a name for God. It signifies his strength, it signifies his power, but it's like the translators read that verse that David wrote, and they're like, man, we believe everything you said. This one seemed a little bit too nuts for us. And they didn't put God. They put, for you, it made him a little lower than the angels. Even the translators were like, man, we cannot put this. But we've got to realize that we carry the name. It's like in Genesis chapter one, it says that you were created in God's image. Angels weren't created in God's image. Demons weren't created in God's image. You were created in God's image. There's a big difference. There was a man named uh, Daryl, and Daryl had five guitars. He was in Los Angeles. He went to the pawn shop, and he said, hey, what can you give me for these five guitars? He goes to the uh, owner of the pawn shop, and the owner said, you know what? I'll give you $1,250 for these five guitars, $250 each. And Daryl thinks, man, I've just got a lot richer, $1,250. This is back in the 80s. That's good money today, and it was really good money then. But what we find out later in the story was Daryl worked security at the LA Forum. And there was this little known band named Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers getting ready for their world tour. And these guitars weren't anybody's guitars. These guitars belonged to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And the guy that was supposed to be providing security, instead we needed security from him, not the other way around. Takes the five guitars, sells them, These guitars, as you know by now, weren't worth $250 each. They were worth $20,000 each. 100 grand total. Daryl got 80% less than what he got for it. What it would have been worth. See, when you don't know the value of what you have in your hands, you will always get from it far less than what it is worth. Even though you are immensely valuable, you're created in God's image, if you don't realize what you're bringing to the table, if you don't recognize the value that you bring, you're gonna get less from your life than what it's worth. This is gonna be your favorite illustration that I've ever done. You're gonna want me to do this every single time that I speak. You got 50 bucks? I'm gonna give this $50 away, who wants it? And some of y'all are like, I don't need 50 bucks. Well, whatever, okay? $50, who wants it? Thank you, Jeremy, that's what I was waiting for. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hang with me, hang with me. Do you still want it? How about this? You still want it? Aren't you glad I'm wearing clean shoes? I'm not wearing my mowing shoes. I'm wearing my Sunday service shoes. You got it. 
Hold on. Many times in our life, we feel like we're dropped. We feel like we're crumpled. We feel like we've been stepped on. We feel like we've been overlooked, that we've been dismissed, that we don't have what it takes and they don't realize what I have. But no matter how many times that's happened to you, you still are worth the same as before. You still have your value. Regardless of your decisions, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of what other people have done to you, you still hold and carry the same value as before. And when you recognize your value, your life will become more valuable. In conclusion, what if we didn't just recognize our value individually, but what if we recognize our value corporately as Oaks Church? You know, five years ago, not one human was thinking about this church. Only God was thinking about it. Four years ago, this church was an idea. Three years ago, it was a decision. Two years ago, it was birthed. Four months ago, we moved into our home, into this building. See, God has always seen the value in what this church could bring but do we, and I believe we do, but this serves as a reminder today. It serves as a reminder that we are here for a purpose. We are here for people. We are here, guess what, right on time. We're not early, we're not late, we're right on time as a church. Oaks Church is a beacon of light to our community, to Collin County, and the world. The world needs this church. There are single moms at Shiloh Place who are getting their lives back on track because of you. There are 300 plus women who are choosing not to abort their baby at Hope Women's Center because of you. There are women being saved from sex trafficking locally and domestic violence at Restored Hope because of you. You're already doing this. But I'm not done. There's kids in East McKinney. There's kids in Anna that are being fed by City Church and Relay, being fed breakfast and lunch because of you. There are 4,000 plus people in a Kenyan village who are being fed with 100 plus monthly coming to salvation because of you. In this church, we have children right now that are being taught, teenagers that are being discipled, marriages that are being coached and restored. We have men and women being empowered all because of you. You're doing the work. See, here at Oaks Church, you know what we're doing? We're growing great lives and we're building big people. It's not about the size of our church, it's about the size of our people. I think you'd agree with me to say that we've had an inspirational beginning. We're having a great present, we're gonna have a fantastic future. But God needs us to fully recognize our value, not just individually, but corporately and realize that Oaks Church isn't just a Sunday service. Oaks Church is a beacon of light in McKinney, in Collin County, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you go, the church goes. 
Here's what's more important. Wherever you go, God goes. That's how you expand his kingdom. It's whatever you're doing in your life, the people that you're reaching. Amen? Next week, we're going to dive a little bit into this. This book's really broken into three parts. It's recognizing your value. Part two is the internal traits that make all the difference, and the external traits are next, the things that you can do that can truly set your life apart. Next week, we'll sell books. You can get it there. You can get it on Amazon this week if you'd like to. But just for the next few moments, I'd like to pray with you. And I'm going to pray regarding the message that was brung, but I'm also going to pray regarding healing, regarding wholeness, regarding restoration. And you don't have to come up, but I am going to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, right now we just say that Christ be magnified. Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We say there is no name like the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And Jesus, we give you praise and glory right now. We honor you. We magnify you. We turn our eyes to you. We turn our hearts to you. God, right now, all across the room, I pray that you start to touch people, that you start to touch bodies, that you start to touch minds, that the same healing and wholeness that was available two years ago, 2,000 years ago is available today. It's not going to stop working at some appointed date. No, you're, you're always working. If you're watching online right now, I just speak healing over you. I speak restoration over you. I speak wholeness over you. Anel, I'm looking at you, and it's time to get up. I speak the life-giving power over you right now. I command every cell, every part of your body, every tissue, everything in your nervous system, everything in your mind, that you have a sound mind. You have a perfect mind. You have the mind of Christ, and you're perfectly aligning right now. The change is coming right now. We believe it. You receive it, and it's going to happen. And God, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory, not just for her life, but for every single life in here. God, I thank you for your miraculous power, for your healing power. God, you're always ready and willing to heal. It's not about if, if, if you will. No, you do. If I want to know God's will for our life, I just look at Jesus' life, and God, it's always your will. It's always your word. And Lord, right now, all across the place, we receive our healing. Just say it, I receive my healing. Lord, thank you. I know as I thank you, you are making me whole. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how you made us, that you see infinite value in us. I pray that you just take the veils off of our eyes, that you take the veils off of our hearts, off of our spirit, that you show us who we were really created to be. Take the blinders off. And we're not a cocky people, but we are a confident people. We're not confident because of who we are, but we're confident because of who you made us to be. God, help us to recognize our value, not just individually, but corporately. 
If you're in the room today and you really haven't recognized your value and you haven't even recognized the value in following Jesus, Paul would say it, the great hero of faith, he said that today is the day of your salvation. It's not tomorrow, it's not in a week. No one has promised a week, no one has promised a month. Even if you're young, you're not promised decades. But today is the day of salvation. If you're in the room or you're watching online, you say, Brandon, that's me, today's my day. Today is the day that I'm gonna recognize the value of following Jesus. That I'm gonna choose to follow him, not perfectly, but faithfully. All over the room, let's, let's say it together, not just a few people that are believing that. Let's say, Father, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you died, that you lived a perfect life, that you rose again for me. This day, I choose to follow you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision today, you might feel the same. You might not have any goosebumps. I know I didn't when I made this decision. I was just in the front of my house, leaning against my parents' car. But the Bible says that you're a new creation now. That you might look the same on the outside, but you're different on the inside. That you were full of sin, but now you are without sin because Jesus made you right. Jesus made you the righteousness of God. Everything's different now. If you made that decision, you pray that prayer. We have people at the Connect desk. They'd love to meet with you, pray with you right outside after this service. We thank God for you. If you made that decision online, you can email us. Love to connect with you, help disciple you at info at oakschurch.com. Thank you for your time today. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.